So we um, are in a series, a little series for Christmas. We started a couple of weeks ago. I called it Time for Christmas because uh, we have a tendency, I think, to rush through Christmas. And we get so busy and there's so many things happening that we sometimes forget to enjoy the, the season. And uh, we, we forget to think about who it's all about and we don't take time that we should maybe for our friends and families. And I, I've been encouraging you just to make sure you take some time and slow down. Have an extra cup of coffee. Make sure you're spending time with your friends and your families. Make an extra phone call. Just take a breath and slow down a little. And in order to do that, I, I thought that uh, to help with that, that we would sort of take a slow look at the Christmas story that uh, we sometimes are so busy moving through it that we might miss some of the little amazing things that God is weaving into that story. And so I want us to be aware of them. And last week, uh, two weeks ago, we started in the beginning of Luke, second chapter, and we, we talked about you know, Mary and Joseph and them heading to Bethlehem for the census and uh, how you know, they, uh, they ended up in a manger and then the, the glory of God appeared, but not in the temple, but out in the field where the shepherds were and the shepherds were outcast and he invited them to come. And as soon as Jesus was born, Jesus, you know, the, the bread of life, the very bread of heaven, the first thing that's happened is he's placed in a feeding trough, that the manger is a feeding trough and how amazing all that was. And then last week we, we jumped over into Matthew 2 and we we talked about uh, the uh, Herod and the chief priests and the Magi and how God was working in all of that story and there was a lot going on that we took in from that. This week we're going to jump back into Luke 2 and pick it up where we left it off with the shepherds. And so we'll start in just a moment in verse 21 of chapter 2. Uh, bad joke time. How much does a reindeer cost? Nothing. They're on the house. I have this uh, weird Christmas talent where I can identify what's in a wrapped present. It's a gift. You know know you're going to be using that. (laughs) All right. So before I jump into the scripture reading, a little story. Um, Monday... Alice and I and our children and our grandchildren all went down to Key West and we did the trolley tour of the Christmas lights, which was a lot of fun. And we had a good time and it was good to be with it. Oh, and the Senekees came with us too and that was a blast. And uh, so we're, we're all there in, enjoying ourselves. And uh, we have seven grandkids and six of them had a really good time. <laughs> one of them didn't, but to be fair, I won't mention which one. Might, might have been a twin, but still. Uh, we had, we had a lot of fun. But anyway, this, so we're going down, and, and we had to drive separately because it's a lot of us. So Alice and I are going down in our cart. Um, I, when I go to Key West, I, I have a few spots that we go to. You know, we, we like El Sibine. We go down there from time to time. TJ Maxx will go there. We go to the Tropic every now and again. But pretty much it for me, and I haven't been really down to Mallory Square, which is where it left in years. I can't remember the last time I was down there at night. So when we went down there, I remember from years ago back I remember that there was an ent- entrance street and an exit street, and you went into Mallory Square one way and you came out another. Well, that's changed, but I'd, nobody told me. I didn't see the memo. And so we're driving, and it's nighttime, and I got my headlights on, and, and, and we, we, we pull up to where I normally go. 
and when I, I, I want to go onto Mallory Square, but the, the street where I want to head is packed with pedestrians. It's, and they're, and they're, some of them are yelling at me, and one was even waving with a, fa- you know, a weird hand sign. And uh, <laughs> I'm trying to talk this through with Alice, and I said, well, I, I want to go up there. And she said, well, just go. And I said, I'm going to mow down pedestrians. And she's like, she's like, well, that's where we want to go. I said, I know, but something's wrong. And then the, the crowd parted slightly, and she could see the posts up there. So, oh, she goes, oh, obviously we can't go that way anymore. And so then I had to make an awkward turn, people honking, just the whole nine yards. You know all that. Well, things had changed. I say all that to say that things change. And change isn't a bad thing. It's just change. And, and it's okay. And so, see, there's a tension we live in as believers. This is fascinating to me. And you have to kind of, this is something to think about over the next week. So as a believer, you know, we know that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And at the same time, he's always doing new things. And we have to live in that because that's where we meet God. He's in the process. And so that's a tension that we sort of have to process. And so new things are okay. And Christmas is about new things and things change and all of that's good. And, and so we're going to look at some of that in this story today in uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. So I'll read it to you. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had conceived. And when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So let's dig in to these verses because there's some really fascinating things going on. And, and Luke is recording them for us. And he, he wants us to make sure we understand how Mary and Joseph are doing everything that's required of them on this thing. And that's a, that's a big deal. And then all of the events that happen um, at the temple and what leads up to that. And there's some amazing things that God is doing in this part of the story. And so up till that point, remember, we'd had the whole... They had gone to Bethlehem. Jesus had been born. Shepherds had done their thing. They were telling everybody. And now Luke picks it up there. He says, on the eighth day... 
When it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And so that's what was supposed to happen. So they made that happen eight days later. And then about a month after that, verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So Luke is weaving two things into this story now, and we're going to look at why he's doing that. One of them is the the fact that after you had a child, the law required you to be purified. That would be Mary. And you would also need to dedicate your child to the Lord. Those things would have to happen at the temple. In Leviticus 12, 3 and 4, we get some information. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred to go to the sanctuary till the days of her purification are over. So she needs to go and be purified. Jesus needs to go to be dedicated. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. That comes from Exodus 13. Two, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Now, why he's putting that there, this is very important. Uh, and, and it relates back to the Passover. And so the Passover was that, that time when the people of Israel were to remember their deliverance from uh, the Egyptians. And uh, remember that when the plagues were happening, the tenth was, was the death of the firstborn. It was the one that finally set them free. All, all the people of Israel were told to go and get a lamb, and they were to bring that lamb into their house for a little while. It had to be a perfect lamb for a few days. And then at the right night, they would sacrifice that lamb, and then they would, they would eat the lamb. But the blood of that lamb was put on the doorposts of their homes, and the angel of death passed over all the people of Israel, and the firstborn were saved. But out of that, God said, listen, in the future, all of your firstborn, every, everything belongs to me. And so they, all the firstborn would be dedicated, firstborn males would be dedicated to the Lord at the temple, much like Samuel was, if you remember the Old Testament. So they weren't going in, like, uh, after that, the children were sort of bought back for, for some shekels, but the first one was dedicated to the Lord. So part of the Passover thing, Luke is weaving into the story, and I want to make sure you see that. And then the law required, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice uh, for Mary in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, again, sometimes when we sort of take a look at things and question what's going on, we find out some really neat stuff. So uh, the way that the the mom would be purified in this thing was she would bring an offering, and it was to be a lamb and a pigeon or a lamb and a dove. But God had made a provision for the poor so that if they couldn't afford a lamb, they could bring two pigeons or two doves because he didn't want somebody to be stuck in not being able to do what they needed to do because a lamb was expensive. Uh, Leviticus 12, 6 or 8. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she's bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, for her, and then she'll be ceremonial clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the women, for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she's to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now... 
This is pretty amazing because they're going to bring two pigeons, two doves, something, which means that they don't have money to pay for a lamb. Remember I said last week, kind of messed up your nativity stories, that the, the wise men, the magi, didn't show up for about a year and a half, maybe two years. And this sort of backs that up because 40 days in and they don't have any money. If the magi had shown up when the shepherds did, they would be flush because they would have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that hasn't happened yet. So they're going. They're trying to do everything right. And they're going to the temple. And they're going to go with two pigeons or two doves because they don't have the money for a lamb. But here's what you need to see because this big circle happens right then is that as they, they carry Jesus to this whole thing, they're bringing the lamb. And they just haven't seen it yet. God's provided the lamb. The very lamb Jesus has entered the world and they're bringing him into this whole process. You know, the, the, uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus some 30 years later, and you remember what he says? Uh, the next day, John one twenty nine, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this whole Passover story is being brought back into completion as the very Lamb of God is presented and dedicated the temple, the one who 30 years later will pay and take care of the sin of the world forever. Your sin and mine washed because of this event. And there it is. And if you don't slow down and see it, you will miss it, that God is making all this happen. He's weaving these stories in such amazing ways. Well, now we're going to meet two people. Uh, Luke's going to introduce us to, and this is very, very biblical and scriptural because Deuteronomy 19.15 says that everything needs to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke is going to provide us these two witnesses to Jesus being the Christ, and it's going to be two people that have been hanging out in the temple for a very long time. The first one is Simeon, Luke uh, 2.25 and 26. Now, Uh, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is obviously a good dude. He got a good write-up in the Bible. Righteous, devout. These are good things to have, you know, penned in there in the Scripture. And he was waiting because the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that before he went on to be with the Lord, he would meet the Messiah. And so he was waiting because he had this promise. And he's waiting to see that happen. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Then he launches into a prayer. But I want you to catch something here. See, it said moved by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. At the exact right time, when Jesus the Messiah was going to show up uh, to the temple to be dedicated because the days had worked out, uh, here comes Simeon at that exact moment, and he's right there, and he sees Jesus, and is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Because I don't think he was expecting a baby, but, but, you know, but there it is, and he launches into this prayer. But I say all that to say this. God is weaving our stories into his story and nothing is happening by coincidence. And I, it's too many people are, are a part of this story in such amazing ways and that they're missing what God is doing because they write it off as coincidence. And I want to tell you, don't. Those things are not coincidence. God is active in your life and he's moving people and situations into being in such amazing ways that we don't want to miss out. There's huge ways and small ways, but you need to be aware of it and have your eyes open because this is such an amazing story. His story, there's nothing like it. And he's weaving us into it and inviting us into it in Jesus. I told the other groups, 
years ago. Uh, quickly, I'll, I'll divert. But uh, I used to go to Cuba a lot from 95 to 2005. Four or five times a year, I went in on short mission trips planning churches. And the very first trip that I went to Cuba... I went with a friend of mine. His name was Bob Fulton. It still is Bob Fulton. Uh, sort of like my mentor. And uh, yeah, he's still around. And, we, and so, so I was 35 the first time I went. And you, you may not know it, but I was very driven. And uh, very type A, all right? And I like to have things planned and organized and moving. And, but he was going, and I, I yielded to him because he's you know, my senior. And, uh, and he's the guy. He was a mission director. Let's go. And we go to Cuba, and we land the first day. And it's very kind of weird there. And first time in, and we wake up in the morning. You know, we go get a night's sleep, and we wake up in the morning. And I said, okay, what's the plan? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> Just flipped me out. <laughs> it was really hard to get to Cuba back then. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Uh, where are we going? I, I don't know. Well, what, do you, what should we do? He said, I think we should go over there and we'll sit in that couch and we'll pray for a while. And then God will show us what we're supposed to do. All right. <laughs> really? You don't want to make a plan? Come on. Spreadsheet? Something? No. Okay. So we went and prayed. And sure enough, things began to happen slowly over the course of the day. Well, one thing that Bob Fulton had said to me before we went, he says, listen, this is important. We need to... Uh, reestablished connection with this guy named Luis. So years before, he had met this guy Luis uh, in California who lived in Cuba. And I said, okay, we need to meet Luis. So where does Luis live? I don't have any idea. (laughs) Well, what's Luis's last name? I don't know. (laughs) Okay, well, that narrows it down a lot, Bob. Half the population named Luis. Not picking, it's just in the name of a, a lot of folks there. And it's a really big island. And I'm like, how we, he, don't, he said, I don't know, but I know it's important that we, that we find it. Okay. So we go through that first day. That night we end up in some little church way off the beaten path, a whole weird set of circumstances that got us there. And the service started, and they have very long services there. And well into an hour in that service, somebody walked in. Luis. Now, it's not his church. He wasn't, doesn't normally go to church there. He just happened to be happening by at that particular moment and thought he was supposed to go in. And there he was. And it was significant that we met him at that moment. But, but you've got to hang with me because I was dumbfounded for days. I'm a full, I was a full-on believer. I knew that God could do things. I was seeing him do things all the time. But the extent of that changed the way I look at everything about his story from that time on. And oh, certainly the power of prayer. And uh, it works. How does that happen? It, you, you, and, and there would be a tendency in some people to write that off as coincidence. Don't do it. You're missing out on amazing things that God is doing because he's inviting you into that life, see? And Jesus, have your eyes open. Watch what's going on. It's the most amazing thing happening. Nothing is by coincidence. Simeon doesn't walk by by coincidence. He's there to see the consolation of Israel. Listen to what he prays because he's been waiting and waiting for this to happen. Sovereign Lord, verse 29, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of 
all people. There's that good news story again. Remember the shepherds? All people. Not just the, these people are, all people are, 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 there it is. Here's the good news coming. And, and he says, it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. He's saying, you told me this was going to happen and you're good and you, you're faithful and your promises are true. And, and so, you know, he said, you can dismiss me now. I'm ready. I've been waiting and I knew you were going to do it and you did it. And that's what he does. That's what God does. The child's father and mother, verse 33, marveled at what was said about him. So, I mean, this is wild, you know, being at the temple and having these things happen. They'd already had a lot of things happen, you know, the angel of the Lord, the, the virgin birth, the, you know, the shepherds, there'd been a lot going on. But this was like, here's this, this amazing thing happening at the temple, and they marveled at the, the Jesus. They're putting it together. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one who was to come to set people free. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now I would say that up until that moment, all of the news, everything they were getting was really cool. This had to be kind of a hard word because all of a sudden they're being told that their son uh, is not going to be liked by a, quite a few people. That's going to be an issue. And, and that's a pretty heavy statement. And I'm going to talk about it in a minute, the rising and falling of all that. And then Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I would say that the very first time it happened was right then. To hear that and to try and take that in about your child. And then, you know, I would say it happened throughout, you know, and I was thinking about when he was 12 and they, they lost him. They left him behind in Jerusalem, remember, for three days and they were off on their journey and all of a sudden, like, who, who's, <laughs> who's got God? And, and uh, <laughs> we had one job, just one. <laughs> and then, but, but again, you know, but when in his ministry, remember the times they would try and go get him and he'd say, who are my brothers and who are my, who's my mother? I mean, that... And, and the crucifixion had to be so hard for Mary through this process, all the neat stuff and all the hard stuff that she would see uh, along the way. But um, that statement, I hope you appreciate the gravity of that statement for the, the rising, the falling and rising of many. And actually they translate those words a little softly because the actual words are destruction and resurrection. The depth and the gravity of that statement is huge. And I want you to take that in because it says that the hearts, that will reveal the hearts, the attitudes of people towards God. So what happens is, is that how and what you do with Jesus in your life reveals your attitude towards God and it impacts you to resurrection or destruction. What you do with Jesus has an eternal impact. That's why we do all of the things that we do here as the people of God. That's why we're out living as people of mission. People need to hear the truth. They need to hear the good news and respond to it. Remember the stories the last two weeks have been about the word being opened and the gospel being presented so that people can respond in faith to know Jesus as Lord and Savior so that they can meet the Lamb of the world who's come to forgive their sin and to give them a life. This is what happens in that process and we have to be the people that share that message and good news because destruction or resurrection hangs in the balance. It's huge, this part of the story. And so, so people have to come to grips with that. What you do with Jesus impacts your rising or your falling. It reveals your hearts in the process. Now, quickly, Luke brings us our second witness. 
Her name is Annas. Anna. And uh, verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage. She was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And when I read that, I thought, well, that's a little harsh. 84, very old in the scripture. Because we got some folks in there, in that range. And I go, well, that's a little sad. 80. So I, I, I dug into it a little bit. Because that doesn't seem right. So here's what most likely, it's a little translation thing there, is that so she was married seven years. She probably got married at 13. That's what happened back then. 13, so she was 20. uh, And then her husband passed away. And then most likely she was a widow for 84 years is a better translation. So at this point in time, she was 104. So you should be okay with being called very old at 104. All right? If if it's 104, you ought to go, yep, I'm very old. And you'll probably be telling everybody. So, but she's this solid woman who's been at the temple for all this time, praying and fasting, and she too speaks of seeing the consolation of Israel. She's the second witness in the process, and she gives thanks to God for all of that. Now, I said last week, when we read the Scripture, we're supposed to think about what can we learn from the characters. And, And so, what did we learn just quickly from from Simeon and from Anna. And I would say, do you know, do you know what? Uh, are we willing to be led by the Spirit like they were? Are we yielding to the Spirit in our lives to, to wait and see the things of God? How about this one? Are we persistent in prayer? Do we understand the importance of prayer? She apparently prayed for 84 years for this. Simeon for a long time in this. We don't know the years. Waiting, praying, patiently waiting on the Lord. And then a baby comes Something brand new happens. I don't think they were expecting it like that. See, and that's where that all ties together. Christmas is about new things. It's about a newness. It was a new way of doing things. That old order of things was being tossed and a new thing was happening and we, were, we in Christ become new creations and all this amazing stuff happens and we need to be open to see it and to, and to be yielding to the Spirit so we don't miss what He's up to. And, and all that stuff is part of this story that He's weaving us into. Don't miss out on what he's doing. Don't miss the newness of Christmas. Live in that tension that I talked about of how amazing God is, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and yet new, new. I'm so, aren't you, I'm so glad every morning for new mercies. You know, the Bible says we get new mercies. I don't know about you, but I need them. My messes are new every day, so those new mercies are important. It's new, and he's doing new things all the time on this journey as he stays true to the entire story that he's presented. So that's the Christmas story. Let me, let me say this today. If you have never gotten to that place where you've, you've just said, God, you have, you've moved in so many amazing ways. And, and you've never just stopped and, and invited him into your life and asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life for all he's done, the, the lamb who came to pay for our sin. You've never responded to that good news. Do it today. You know, I, I gave invitation last week and we, we stopped everything. This, this week, I just want to say it to you this way. Look, if you've never prayed a prayer that just goes like this, you know, God, would you forgive me for all my mess? And he will. And Jesus, would you come into my heart and life to be my Lord and Savior? If you've never prayed that prayer, do it now. It's the, it's the key to everything. It opens everything for you. And it's that simple. If you need help, I'm going to send the ministry team over there. Ministry team, why don't you go ahead and go while I finish talking. And if you need prayer for anything, they'll pray for you. But if you need prayer for that, ask them, I want to know Jesus. And they'll pray with you. And do it today. It's the best decision you will ever make. It pulls you into this story. 
in such amazing ways. And so I would encourage you to respond to that. And they'll pray for healing and relationship, problems, finances, whatever you might need. They'll pray for you, so make sure you get that. But let me pray for you as a group.